Broadcasting live from Tech Square in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for ATDC Radio, powered by Business Radio X. Now here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Atlanta Business Radio, and this is a special one because this is going to be um, part of our ATDC radio series. Today we have with us Craig Green with Carbice. Uh, Welcome, Craig. Hi, happy to be here. Well, before we get too far into things, tell us about Carbice. How are you serving folks? So uh, Carbice is a a thermal materials company. We, We deliver thermal solutions to all types of companies really helping them to get the heat out of their electronics and, and allowing them to really innovate and deliver better products. So now how did this idea come about? Sure. So Carbice was founded um, many years ago, back in uh, 2012, as a sort of a research company uh, by uh, Barak Kohler, our founder and CEO. He's one of the sort of world leading researchers in uh, carbon nanotubes and you know, he ultimately developed, you know, a platform a carbi- what ult- that ultimately became Carbice Carbon um, as a part of his work as a professor at Georgia Tech. Um, and so I, I met Barad short- shortly after um, the company was founded and kind of worked with him to develop the sort of platform technology into the products that we deliver to market today. So that-, that, that research was funded, was, you know, was funded by folks like DARPA, um, Intel, IBM, sort of the leading sort of chip makers in the world because it was one of the most significant sort of challenges to continuing to innovate at the time. So now the benefits of removing heat, can you talk about that? Like why is that so important to companies and why are they so excited about what you got going on? Well, you know, so fundamentally heat is just, it's a barrier to innovation. Uh, maybe I'll just give you just a couple of sort of examples to give you a sense of how hot you know, your, how much heat your computer or your electronics are, are generating. So, you know, if you look at some of the sort of high-end electronics devices that are out there, they're generating heat, you know, power density that is on the order of the amount of heat, the, the power density of the surface of the sun. Um, so a tremendous amount of power is being generated in a very, very small footprint. And the reason why your, you know, your cell phone's not exploding, your, your you know, your CPU or desktop computer isn't, um, isn't smoking is because of effective cooling. Um, and so there's a tremendous amount of work and in, in, in research that's gone into figuring out strategies to keep these devices cooler, because ultimately, if you can't keep those devices cool, you cannot innovate. You cannot build more functionality into those systems because they just get so hot. Um, so maybe just to give you a sense of that. So if we look just at data centers, data centers, um, today consume about 70 billion kilowatts of electricity. Um, it just, you know, to give you a sense of how much power that is, you know, that's about 10% of the overall uh, world's energy electricity consumption, um, you know, in the next 10 years. And cooling is a tremendous amount of the power that they consume. So of all that sort of billions of kilowatt hours of electricity, about 40% of that just goes into keeping things cool. And so if you can keep things, if you can cool more effectively, more efficiently, you lower your overall power consumption, and it allows you to do what you're really trying to do with those uh, different types of technologies. And that's really sort of innovate and deliver value to customers. Um, and we remove that sort of thermal barrier to innovation. And then with your solution, um, 
how did you know kind of you were on the right path? Like, how, like I'm sure a lot of people are trying to solve this problem. How did you know that you were onto something? Can you talk about how that kind of, hmm, this thing seems to be working. Let's see if we can do more of that. Well, so, so fundamentally, our material is built on the carbon nanotube. The carbon nanotube sort of is the end game for thermal materials. It's the highest thermal conductivity material that's going to be produced. And there's been, you know, over the last few decades, really trillions of dollars of sort of research dumped into that technology because it is sort of so promising from a performance perspective. And what really differentiated our material and our technology and what we're doing at Carbice is we figured out how to manufacture it at scale at a reasonable, you know, cost competitive price. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, it doesn't really matter how good the technology is if it costs, um, if it's prohibitively expensive. And so that's what we figured out is we can make this material at low temperature, at low cost, um, and be able to scale it out so that we can address this tremendous market. And then can you share the difference, like uh, somebody who's using carbice and somebody who isn't, the difference in like the temperature? Like what's the kind of the, how do you measure how effective your thing is compared to either another one or doing nothing? Well, so, you know, it really kind of depends on the application, but ultimately, like when you look at temperature, even if you're just reducing the temperature of a device by, say, five degrees Celsius, that may that may translate into, you know, an order of magnitude increase in overall reliability of that device, um, because essentially the warmer the device is, the higher the temperature it operates at, the sooner it will ultimately fail. Failure is, you know, directly coupled to temperature. And so if you look at, for example, um, you know, we're starting to look at um, autonomous driving, which is basically building a computer into your automobile. Well, that automobile needs to last, um, you know, the typical lifetime of an automobile is 15 years. And so um, you need to figure out how to ensure that those electronics are able to operate consistently over that entire lifespan to give customers the type of reliability they expect. And so being able to give you know, five degrees, 10 degrees is tremendous in terms of difference in what you can do with an application. So then um, what were your first kind of uh, guinea pigs to test this out to know that this was something that was going to work? Was it something like a car or was it, you know, like a phone or a computer? No. So actually the first market that we really uh, sort of got our feet wet in was semiconductor tests. And so that's basically, if you look at the factories that are making your, your computer processors, each one of those chips are tested um, in a factory before they're sent out to market. And just like I talked about failure being related to temperature, what they do is they test those devices at elevated temperature and really, really high power so that they fail quickly and they can get rid of those devices. And so what we, uh, where we first went to market was there where we essentially took advantage of the fact that we had developed this material that one was really, really good at cooling, but was also really, really mechanically robust. And that had been a problem that was very difficult to solve for a long time. How do you put a essentially interface material into an application that needs to make and break an interface thousands and thousands or millions of times, um, you know, as you test chip after chip, after chip, after chip. Um, and our material was one of the first materials that was really able to sort of survive in that environment. 
And then, so once you kind of uh, worked that area, then you found other kind of use cases for it? Yeah. So, you know, early in our sort of research days, we looked at sort of a very broad variety of, of, of applications. And one of the ones that we, you know, sort of early on got our feet wet and kind of looked at was um, was, was space. Um, and so that's another sector that, you know, we've been going to space for a while, but it's really been growing um, tremendously recently um, as, you know, folks like SpaceX and, 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 and people like that have sort of lowered the cost to get to space. Um, it's become more of a sort of commercial sector. And so you're starting to see some of these large constellations of satellites um, go into outer space. And so that was another market where um, for where we were as a business early on, where we sort of had relatively small volume, um, but we also had a material that we had shown in semiconductor tests um, was not just a good thermal material, but was also um, robust in a harsh environment. Um, it was sort of an easy translation to that market that also is a really harsh environment to operate in um, that ultimately kind of eliminated some of the other materials that might possibly evaluate it, be evaluated for those applications. So you tested your products like on the International Space Station? Absolutely. Our material has been um, up to the, it's spent about a year up on the International Space Station. Um, we sent it up, it's been back. Um, and that was one of our sort of first tests to sort of establish flight heritage for our material. Um, and since then, we've actually been designed into several sort of commercial satellites that are um, on orbit and operating today. What was it like kind of doing research with somebody in the space station? Like you were well, you know. So I think the thing that's unique about that market is um, it's a it's a very conservative market uh, because you know I talked about the cost of getting to space um, being reduced, but ultimately still it costs a tremendous amount of money to send a satellite into orbit. And once it gets up there, if your material fails, you basically have space junk. You know, you, you can't go up there and fix it and change it out and repair it. So there's a tremendous amount of upfront engineering that goes into really giving customers assurance that the material will perform as expected under a wide variety of sort of conditions that it'll be exposed to from, you know, the extreme cold of space to the radiation that it'll be exposed to. So it goes through a lot of qualification before you ultimately get that um, check mark that your material is actually certified to be used. But once it does get that check mark, it probably shows a lot of uh, credibility to with the offering because if you can do it there, you can do it in a lot of other places. Absolutely. Absolutely. You get, you get that credibility and you've also sort of, um, once you sort of emerge from that trial, um, you have that heritage with you. Uh, it's a, it's expensive and time consuming to do all of that. And so, you know, that's not something that those customers, that industry does, over and over and over again. They do it when they see a good opportunity to do something that's going to be transformative for their business. And once it's done, you've essentially um, established a beachhead that um, you can operate in for a long time because you are qualified. Now, let's talk a little bit about um, the Georgia Department of Economic Development Center of Innovation. And um, how did you kind of start working with those folks? Yeah. So earlier on, so as we were kind of building our business, you know, my background is um, sort of in heat transfer, thermal science, and most of our team has a similar type of background. Uh, but, you know, I talked about the carbon nanotube and it being sort of a, 
relatively new material to the commercial space. And one of the things that I recognized early on was that we were going to need to talk to the EPA before we started to really manufacture in volume. Um, and, you know, as a small business, it's difficult to both be focused on developing products for your customers um, and trying to understand how to solve their problems and to do sort of the, the, the background work to sort of develop data and also understand the regulatory process for getting approval from the DEPA. And so, you know, I'm a Georgia Tech alum. Um, you know, most of the folks at, at um, Carbice are Georgia Tech alums. And so I was able to sort of uh, hear about the Georgia uh, Centers of Innovation through just relationships I had with folks at, at Georgia Tech. And so together, we, we kind of put together a proposal to say, hey, let's um, sort of leverage the tremendous resource that is Georgia Tech to kind of help us to collect the data that we need to show that our material is safe um, and also to help understand what the submission process would look like um, for a company like us, a new nanomaterials company. Um, and one of the reasons why we really wanted to do it um, with Georgia Tech is because, you know, you know, at Georgia Tech, not just carbon nanotubes, but nanotechnology research in general is really one of the sort of the areas that, you know, that university differentiates itself. And one of the things that I saw and I wanted to see was um, really build up a hub of information um, from our experience where other companies and other individuals who have good ideas and want to understand how to commercialize their technology can go back and talk to the folks at, at Georgia Tech and understand how do I sort of navigate the regulatory process of manufacturing um, that it, so that you don't have to sort of reinvent that wheel on your own every time and just lower the barrier to sort of innovation and entrepreneurship in Georgia. Now, not only are you involved with that group, you're also involved with the ATDC. Um, how did that come about? Was that just kind of a natural outgrowth? You're already kind of familiar with that ecosystem and they have so many resources and have had so many successes over the years that it was a logical place to incubate the company? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a logical place to incubate the company. And we sort of grew up through ATDC. So, you know, earlier on, you know, coming out of Georgia Tech, there are programs in place, not just at ATDC, but also sort of the, through the Georgia Research Alliance that help to sort of um, help faculty members to understand how to transition the technology from the lab to a commercial environment. There's so many great ideas um, that sort of end up getting stuck in the lab because there isn't that interface in place. And so early on, we worked with them to just do the type of sort of proof of principle experiments, data collection, um, sort of um, relationship building that we needed to get to the place where we could eventually go to market as a commercial company. And as we did, we kind of graduated through the stages of, um, sort of association with ATDC. Um, and when we were ready to become a, um, a commercial entity, entity, we did, we looked at spaces all around the city of Atlanta, but ultimately it made the most sense to stay close to Georgia Tech um, in the incubator space that is sort of here on on or, or near Georgia Tech's campus, uh, you know, that ATDC provides. Now, uh, for folks that aren't familiar with ATDC, what would you say is the biggest kind of reason to consider incubating at ATDC? Is it the access to talent? I think that that's very attractive. 
Yeah, well, it's the it's the access to talent. Um, when when I say talent, you know, folks coming out of Georgia Tech, but also it's really the access to expertise. Um, and again, you know, when you're a, when you're a small business, two people, three people, you really have expertise in in most cases your technical area. But there's so many other areas that are um, important to building a business. Uh, I talked about regulatory things, but I've also, you know, tried to understand how to build a sort of safety culture within our, our company. And there's someone um, at ATDC that has that, that expertise that I can sit down and have a cup of coffee with. Um, or someone, if there's no one there at ATDC, there's someone whom they can connect me with. And so that building and maintaining that connectivity within the state of Georgia um, is really what's enabling us to start to build a startup ecosystem. Um, I think, you know, if you think 10 years ago, if you wanted to build a, a technology business, you kind of, no matter where you came from, you kind of needed to pick up and move it out to Silicon Valley because that ecosystem existed out there, um, regardless of where the technology came from. And what ATDC is, is doing is kind of pulling all those things together that already exist in the state of Georgia and helping folks to navigate um, who those people are, where they are, and how you can work together. So now, how can we help you? What do you need more of? Um, so, I mean, ultimately, we're always uh, looking for more talent as we grow. So we're 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 growing today. Um, you know, as I said, we're we're about fourteen now, but we're always looking for um, bright folks to help us to come and solve problems that we have. You know, technically in our business. And then, um, what about clients? Or, or do you have uh, a good kind of base of clients right now, or are you looking for more opportunities, maybe in different areas that you're in? Yeah, I mean, we we have a very broad pipeline. I think one of the things about Carbice in general and the the problem that we're solving is that everyone has it. Um, so you know, early on, the way we sort of did business development was to go to sort of you know we had our network. But also, I could go and speak at a conference about our technology, and then, you know, at the end of my talk, just kind of go stand in the back of the room, and folks would come to me and say, hey, how can I get some of what you have? And so, you know, doing that sort of business development is, um, I won't say it's easy, but it's something that's very accessible when you have, when you're solving a problem that everyone has. Um, but as we grow, I think what what I've learned is it's not really just about finding engineers, because typically, you know, I'm an engineer myself. Typically, those folks who I talk to would be other engineers who'd say, hey, I've been trying to solve that problem. Um, but really to get your get technology adopted into a large company, you need, you know, relationships, not just with those engineers, but with the folks in procurement, with the folks in business development that understand um, how adopting a new technology affects the broader business and the broader businesses bottom line and having that sort of um, not just sort of bottom up push of technology into a business, but that top down pull in of technology into the business. And so being able to have connections and relationships with folks, with those types of people um, is, is always important and, and it helps us to be able to continue to um, be successful in terms of getting our technology actually adopted and integrated into real products. So if someone's out there that wants to learn more, have more substantive conversation with you or somebody on your team, what's the website? Uh, so www.carbice.com. So C-A-R-B-I-C-E.com. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Uh, You're doing amazing work and we appreciate you. Yep. Thank you. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Atlanta Business Radio and especially this ATDC Radio episode.